Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. MJ, thanks very much for reading for us. Anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Simon Pedley, one of the ministers here. And uh, it honestly wasn't planned, but it was nice of Danny Boyle to give us such a visual picture of shepherds and sheep for us on Friday, wasn't it? Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage together, we thank you that you are speaking these words to us today, speaking them to your church, that you, the great shepherd of the sheep, are leading us by your voice. We pray that we would hear that voice, listen to it intently, and go where it leads. In Jesus' name, amen. Humility. That is Peter's parting shot uh, in this last chapter of the letter. If you're going to make it as a Christian... Humility is necessary. The chapter is built around the motto there in verse 5, at the end of the verse, taken from the book of Proverbs. These are the words Peter wants ringing in our ears as he finishes this letter. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now just as we start, let that sentence sink in for a moment. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is an attitude that means God will oppose you, according to this verse. It's not just that God quietly dislikes pride. He actively opposes it. It is an active verb behind that word. 
just half a second's thought about who God is will show you how serious that is. He's the all-powerful creator, sustainer of the universe. He ordains everything according to his will. He cannot be thwarted. If he opposes you, if he opposes us, that will not end well. But humility, that is an attitude which attracts God's grace. He gives grace to the humble. It is the humble who will make it with God's help. Now, what does all this have to do with the rest of the letter? Why does Peter finish here? If you've been with us for some of this series, you'll know that uh, Peter says Christians are on a journey. We are uh, not at home. We belong to God. We are those who live now as, he says, aliens and strangers passing through a world that is not yet home. We're waiting for a glorious future, but it hasn't come yet. And the same pattern of life has emerged time and time again through this letter. Suffering now, glory later. Christians often suffer for their faith in this world. We've talked about that a lot in these last few weeks uh, from the previous passages. Uh, Even though, in Peter's words, uh, Christians are to seek to do good and to bless the world on God's behalf, this pattern still emerges. Suffering now, perhaps through persecution, and glory later. That's the pattern. It's exactly the same here in chapter 5. It's there over and over. That pattern is just drummed into our heads repeatedly. So uh, look at verse 1. Peter is uh, a witness of Christ's sufferings, one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Suffering now, glory later. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Glory, but later. Verse 6. There's the expectation that God will lift you up in due time. Suffering now, lifted up later. And clearest of all is verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Maybe you've been here the last couple of weeks and you think that pattern's just been repeated endlessly, ad nauseam these last few weeks. Well, maybe we need it drummed into our heads. If we're Christians, maybe there's a danger we won't get it. We won't understand that that is the pattern. That is how God works in our Christian life. And Peter says as much in verse 12, just as he finishes the letter. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've testified, sorry, written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This, this experience... Suffering now, glory later, is the true grace of God. It is what God is doing. It is God's gift to you, how he works in your life. That's what grace is, a gift. And uh, the characteristic you'll need for that journey, says this chapter, is humility. It's not the proud that will make it to glory. It is the humble who get to heaven. Now, before we dive in, it's worth saying that some people hate words like humble and humility. It doesn't engage much with some of the uh, the mottos of our age. I don't know if that's you. Uh, it seems a bit at odds at some of the value of our society. Uh, we of, we're often told, take pride in yourself. Or uh, make like Frank Sinatra and get to the end of life and say, I did it my way. Uh, or when the tough going gets tough, the tough get going. I don't know which one of those you'd pick. Uh, or even the most famous verse that's not in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. It's not there. It's not true. God gives grace to the humble. 
Maybe you think humility is always a bit of a false thing. Maybe you're suspicious of humility. Uh, this weekend, I spotted one newspaper that, maybe slightly my interpretation of the, uh, the article, but here's how I took it. The London 2012 opening ceremony was the best ever. And the reason for that is the British national characteristic of humility. That's something to be really proud of. That's one of the bizarre, slightly tricky things about humility. As soon as you notice it in yourself, it's gone. Uh, very few authors have written books about humility because it's quite awkward to put yourself forward as an expert in humility. Um, but humility is utterly vital for the Christian life, says Peter, because without it, you'll refuse God's grace. God's grace is for the humble. Uh, last week, an old friend of ours uh, came over for supper and uh, they managed to turn a 10-minute walk from a tube station to our flat into an hour's getting lost around central London. And uh, uh, at any moment, this person could have picked up the phone, asked for directions. That would have been absolutely fine. But uh, pride got in the way. I'll, I'll find my own way. I don't need help. Now, what will shock you most about that person is that it, that, uh, it was a female, not a male. Shock. Horror. Um <laughs> Now, we had a laugh. That person had plenty of time to get lost and was kind of enjoying it. So that was not a comment on that person. But um, that, is, that is pride. It says to God, I don't need your help. And so you get none. Humility says, I need help for this journey. Suffering to glory is really hard. Lord, I need your grace. I need your help. So Peter paints this picture of Christians traveling through the world in humility. And he picks up on... A regular biblical metaphor of sheep, God's people as sheep. Now, that is a picture designed to foster humility, isn't it, really? It's hard to be proud when you think of yourself as a sheep. Uh, We're a flock. We're being guided by shepherds through dangerous territory. And what we need most is humility. So two main parts to Peter's call to humility. Be humble shepherds and be humble sheep. So we're directed to elders and then to the whole flock. So first, be humble shepherds in verses 1 to 4. Peter writes in verse 1, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And then as he goes through the next few verses, he essentially describes how shepherds can lead with humility rather than pride. Now, before we even get into that, uh, whoever you are, this applies to you in some way. Just in case you're thinking, okay, this bit's for ministers. I'll just uh, have a, a bit of a snooze until verse 5. Um, people like me and Matt and Matt, who are um, the upfront ministers of the church and the team of elders who take decisions with us and hold us accountable, yes, obviously this applies very directly to us. Within that, there are other kinds of responsibilities, the small group ministries that we have here, uh, running ministries for youth or children or internationals. But elders here isn't even necessarily to do with a a particular office or role in the church. Peter contrasts it in verse 5 with younger people who are submissive to those who are older. So in that general sense, if anyone around you is a younger Christian than you, you're an elder to them in that general sense. So a lot of people here this morning are elders in one way or another. We're, we're all shepherds if we're Christians for any length of time. Uh, even if you're a brand new Christian, 
And you think, well, I don't think there's any younger Christian than me here. Well, here's what you should aspire to as you grow as a Christian. And if you're here, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Listen into this. Listen into what the Bible calls Christian elders or leaders to be characterized by. Elders, be humble shepherds, says Peter. And he gives three contrasts in these verses, which spell out how a leader should be humble rather than proud. Can you see in verses 2 and 3, three times he says, not one thing, but something else. Not one characteristic, but a different characteristic. So first contrast is in verse 2. Be overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. So if you are an elder and lead in any sense, don't think, I must lead because, well, my Bible studies are better than anyone else's, so I'm kind of needed there. Or I must lead because, well, I I don't feel respected or valued if I don't, so I must. Or I, I must lead because that is how I feel good about myself spiritually. I can't really cope without leading. And don't say, I must lead because, well, I've got an amazing gift that I must exercise. Or I must lead because I don't feel fulfilled otherwise. Now, all of those are the voice of pride, leading for self rather than leading for others. Those who must lead or feel that they must lead tend to be pretty awkward characters to deal with. Uh, Rather lead because you are willing, says Peter. as someone who runs the, the music ministry here, uh, wonderfully, this isn't a problem here, but proud musicians, my goodness, what a nightmare. Um, they must play. They must. They're deeply up- upset when asked to miss uh, a song or play less at a particular point. I'm really thankful that our musicians serve so willingly. It is wonderful when a, a new musician comes and joins the church and comes to me and says, now look, I, I don't want to say much about it, but I play the, dr- the drums pretty well, and if that could be of use, um, happy to serve, but uh, no worries if not, I don't want to push myself forward. Uh, the answer to that is going to be, yes, brilliant, fantastic, but not because they must, because they are willing, and that is a wonderful thing. Second contrast at the end of verse 2, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, Now, you might wonder who on earth would go into church ministry these days expecting to get rich, and that is a valid point, except that many do, not just the televangelists who ask for your donations at the end of their uh, TV program, or the prosperity gospel preachers who are fleecing poverty-stricken congregations to line their own pockets. Now, those are the easy targets for us to speak against on the basis of this passage. What about us? Well, Even in the Church of England, uh, the temptations are there. Not that huge sums will necessarily flow through the the bank account, but it's possible to pin your hopes on uh, a big ministry house, a job for life, a decent pension. Now, current circumstances would say, don't bet on any of those, but some do. And we can maybe expand the concept of money slightly to other kinds of personal gain. Uh, the self-esteem that you might attract, uh, you might, that might be associated with being in charge of something, or the reputation you love to have as a good leader. Again, these are proud, self-serving reasons to lead. Peter says, not for that, but because you're eager to serve. 
serve, be motivated by the needs of others, not your own. Remember Peter's testimony in verse 1 as a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter saw firsthand how Jesus served others by laying down his life. Lead not for personal gain, that's not what Jesus did, but for the benefit of others. Will it help others if you lead a group or take responsibility for a ministry area or play in the band? That should be the reason for your eagerness not to serve yourself. Final contrast in verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So never, I'm in charge. I own this ministry. I own these people. This is my small group. I get to be lord in this little area of church life. No, you don't. That was leadership lesson 101 for Jesus and his original disciples. He said, the leaders of the nations lorded over their people. Not so with you. And I guess as Peter was writing this, he had those words ringing in his ears. Not so with you. You're not to be power grabbing. You're not to see the sheep you're shepherding as your own. Because they're not yours. They are entrusted to you, says verse 3. They are God's flock, says verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock. Being sheep may be a humbling thing, but we're God's sheep. And that makes the church something very, very precious, something to be protected faithfully. And whatever shepherding role we may or may not have, all of us are just under shepherds. Verse 4 reminds us that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He owns the sheep. He's coming back for them. You don't own the sheep. That is the voice of pride. It's worth saying that even Peter, who over church history has often been elevated unduly as if uh, he was some kind of monarchical authority that uh, then had popes descending from him in that same position. Uh, There's nothing here of that. Peter doesn't make this appeal as a superior, but in verse 1, as a fellow elder with the others in the church. Rather, he says, humility will lead you to be examples to the flock. And that's in that final contrast, verse 3. If you want to guide the sheep through suffering now to glory later, go that way yourself. Be an example. Realize that suffering may come now. Humble leadership is sacrificial in some ways, with time, with money, with reputation. The glory comes later, verse 4, when the chief shepherd returns and awards the crown of glory. The shepherds God wants for his sheep are humble. But does that make sense to you? Humble leaders are the only ones who can be trusted to lead God's flock from suffering to glory. I don't know if you realize humble leadership is more and more being recognized as necessary, even in uh, the secular world of uh, management training. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Jim Collins. He's uh, a writer on leadership. He's become famous for his book, Good to Great. And he says there's many good companies and organizations out there. And a lot of them have leaders who are arrogant, proud. They've got to get up and go to make things happen. But the last thing you'd say about them is that they're humble. But there are a few truly great organizations which suddenly go stratospheric in their influence. And their leaders, says Collins, tend to be marked by humility. 
people who never wanted to become larger-than-life heroes or to be put up on a, a pedestal in some way. Their colleagues tend to describe them as the quiet, humble, modest, gracious, mild-mannered, self-effacing, understated ones in the firm. They consistently point to the contributions of others rather than drawing attention to themselves. And Collins says it is those people whose organizations went from good to great. That's very interesting, isn't it? On a a pragmatic level, humble servant leadership seems to work. Now, it's regarded as a bit of a breakthrough. Jesus has been saying it for 2,000 years. Maybe think about it this way. You decide to visit a dangerous country, and you need a guide. And two guides are available. You get to choose between two different guides. Both have the same level of local knowledge. One seems, if you talk to him a bit, a little bit shifty. He talks up his knowledge and his abilities. He's very big on himself. But it's soon obvious that he's just in it for the money. He's not particularly interested in your welfare. He treats you with just a whiff of disdain as he talks to you. The other immediately warms to you. He's passionate about your reason for visiting this dangerous area. I don't know, maybe you're taking medical supplies or something. Uh, And he says, look, pay me if you can, but it's just really important that you get there. So come what may, I'm going to do my best to get you there. Now, which would you choose? It's a no-brainer. Choose the humble shepherds. Be humble shepherds on the road from suffering to glory. That is the first part to Peter's call to humility. Be humble shepherds. And the other part is this. Be humble sheep. Be humble sheep. Two aspects of this. Humility towards each other and humility towards God. First, humility towards each other in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And then he opens it up. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be submissive to those who are older. If you have humble shepherds over you, then be humble sheep. If you're in a a small group, listen to your Bible study leaders, to your ministers as they preach, to older Christians as they advise you in, in conversations. Pride says in those settings, well, I make my own way in life. What do they know about me and my life and my circumstances? Thanks very much. I'll I'll, I'll get on with it myself. Humility says, well, what do I know? There there is plenty that I can learn from those older in the faith than me. Now, this is not a recipe for brainwashing. Uh, The submissive masses tell them to submit to the shepherds. Don't switch off, switch off your brain. The Bible uh, always tells us to keep weighing and testing everything that our, our church leaders say. That's why Peter wants his instructions to elders to be read by everyone, so that elders can be accountable to the whole church. Uh, to keep the same uh, illustration as before, if you're on that mission to uh, deliver medical supplies to a dangerous location, and you've got a guide who knows much better than you about where the dangers are, where the safe routes through are, then trust him. Don't be proud and say you think you know best. Trust him. Why do we train Bible study leaders? Why do we send some people off to theological college to be trained as pastors? So hopefully they can shepherd us wisely. Don't be too proud to recognize 
your need, our need, all of our need for guidance from shepherds. But being humble sheep isn't just for the younger Christians, it is for everyone. In the second half of verse 5, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. We need each other on this journey. Don't be too proud to acknowledge that. God's plan is, is not for lone ranger Christians to find their way from suffering to glory alone, without each other. Pride says, I don't need you. Humility acknowledges our need for each other. So clothe yourself in humility, says Peter. Cover yourself with it. Make that just the way you operate amongst each other. Maybe think about Sunday mornings here at Christchurch Mayfair. I know it's summer and lots of people will be away and the Olympics are making things harder to get here and all that sort of thing. But just think generally, when you're planning your weekends, what goes through your head about church? Do you think, yeah, I could go. That might be nice this weekend. Or I could do a bunch of other things. So let me weigh those up and, and sometimes church wins and sometimes it doesn't. Or do you think, you know what? I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to help me through this journey. And they need me as well. I'm basically a sheep. And sheep don't do very well by themselves. That is humble. But it's true, humble sheep recognize that we all need each other. So Sundays, midweek small groups, yes, life is complicated, but does your commitment to church look sheepish enough, if I can put it that way? One for you to to think through. So first aspect of being a humble sheep is humility towards each other. The second aspect is humility towards God himself. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he may lift you up in due time. Do you recognize that God's mighty hand is over your life, our life, everybody's life? If you're not a Christian, that could be a fearful thought. If you resent that idea of God having his hand over your life, then pride, well, that could be really dangerous for you. The kind of pride that means God will oppose you. But humble sheep in God's flock will be deeply, deeply grateful for that mighty hand of God. He is the chief shepherd, and our lives are ultimately in his hands. For Christians, that means verse 10 is true. God's mighty hand guarantees, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Humble sheep will trust God for that. Trust him to take us through this life as aliens and strangers and trust that he'll bring us to that glory in the end. And uh, Peter applies that for us in a couple of ways which I've put on your sheet. Humility and anxiety and humility under attack. And we'll just look at these briefly as we finish. In anxiety, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This life will be full of anxieties. That is just part of being aliens and and strangers in the world. No doubt this morning I could ask you, what are you feeling anxious about? And once you get started, you could just keep listing and listing and listing listing things that if you thought about it too long, you'd be very anxious about. And your thoughts could whirl in all sorts of directions. I guess the context here points especially to the difficulties Christians face uh, of, of being a Christian in the world, the insults, the persecutions that Peter has spoken of. But we can apply this across the board to our anxieties. And pride says, 
You're anxious? Don't be a wuss. Don't lean on someone else. Why would you do that? Least of all, God. Sort your own problems out. Deal with your own dangers, your own mess, your own emotions. Uh, And in desperate self-reliance, we try to bury our anxiety while it just festers more and more and more. Humility says, trust God. You're a sheep, but he holds you in his mighty hand. He will lift you up. He will restore you and make you strong and steadfast. So pray. Tell him everything. Don't hold anything back. Cast all your anxieties onto him. Uh, I heard of a person uh, just the other day who uh, didn't feel that they could tell God their problems. Well, God already knows. He won't be surprised or confused or unable to know how to help. What is it for you that you've never really talked to God about? You've never honestly discussed it with him in prayer, cast it onto him, and so it just aches quietly away inside you. Cast it onto him. Literally, just throw it onto him. He's big enough to take it and to deal with it. Anxiety under attack. Finally, humility under attack. Verse 8. If we're sheep, then the, the devil is a lion. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He is the danger, crouching and waiting to devour the unwary. And when you suffer, and verse 9 says it's the same kind of sufferings that Christians throughout the world are going through, there is an enemy who tries to use that suffering to destroy us, to destroy you. He will tempt and provoke and accuse and lie and do whatever he can to try to kill your trust in the God who holds you in his hands. Pride is hopeless in that situation. You either wander around complacently like a a sheep out of a pen thinking, I'm fine, I'm not scared of anything. I can handle myself. There's no danger here. Or you realize the nature of the enemy and you think, actually, that pride collapses in fear. I'm just a sheep. What hope have I got against a lion? Hopeless. Humility says, I am just a sheep, but I'm in God's mighty hand. I'm under his hand. So, verse 9, I can resist the devil, standing firm in my faith. Not in my own strength, that's ridiculous, but in the faith, in my trust in God, I can resist. So, where are you not resisting? Where are you complacent, thinking that you're immune to temptation? Or where have you just given up, thinking that sin and Satan are just too strong for you? You can resist by trusting God. He will lift you up. He will make you strong and firm and steadfast and take you to glory. As we close, uh, on Friday at the uh, opening ceremony, the uh, the commentators quoted uh, Pierre de Coubertin, I hope that's pronounced rightly, the founder of the modern Olympic movement. And uh, he was famous for saying, the competition is more important than winning. So every time your parent or your teacher has said, it's not the winning that counts, it's the taking part. Uh, blame him for that. Um, de Coubertin believed that, uh, believed that principle about all of life. He said, the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well. 
Well, as we finish 1 Peter, we can go one better than that, can't we? You and I, the flock of God, if we're trusting Jesus on the journey from suffering to glory, we're called to take part in the struggle, that is true. But the outcome is secure. There's no losers in God's flock. We will triumph, we will conquer, says Peter. Because Christ has triumphed and conquered for us. So in humility, trusting him and not ourselves, we can make that journey together as humble shepherds and humble sheep. This is the true grace of God, suffering to glory. In humility, stand fast in it. Let's pray. Father, our hearts so naturally inclined to pride. And that brings with it so many dangers. Father, please, would you use this passage to inoculate us against some of those temptations to be proud. Help us to see ourselves as sheep, your sheep, your sheep under your mighty hand. And we pray, Lord, that that would make us humble shepherds whenever we have responsibilities in the church, humble sheep all of the time, that we might look to each other to carry each other to glory. Most of all, look to you and trust you. We thank you that as our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, you can be trusted. In Jesus' name, amen.